time for Coffee with the Chicken Ladies, a podcast for people who love chickens. Hey, everybody, and welcome. It's Chrissy and Holly from Coffee with the Chicken Ladies. We're here, and this is episode number 165 of our podcast, where we talk about everything chicken, family, fun, and more chickens more chickens we drink a ton of coffee i'm talking a ton but most importantly we hug chickens every day and we kiss them too don't forget we brew coffee from a little coffee house in historic gettysburg pa bantam coffee roasters holly and what kind of coffee are we brewing today today we're going classic colombian colombian just because i like to say it a lot too yes and where can everybody get this awesome coffee? Bantamroasters.com. And use the code FLUFFYBUTT for 10% off anything on the website. That's an excellent code. Go use it and follow them on Facebook and Instagram. Are you ready to sip some of this delicious Colombian coffee and chat? I am. But first, a word from our sponsor. We have some exciting news to share from our sponsor, Grubly Farms. They're here, new and improved, Grubly's World Harvest. I'm a longtime subscriber, and my flock love the healthy, nutritious treats, plus orders $40 or more ship free. If you haven't heard, Grubly's has a fantastic layer pellet and crumble feed. It's packed with plant and insect protein, perfect for those picky chickens and ducks. Grubly Farms makes food and treats for healthy pets and planet. To support us and Grubly's, go to our website or our show notes and use the link. Try it today. Okay, so how are you doing today? Counting the days until spring. How are you? Doing the same. I don't know if we've even said this, but my house since January 1st has been a sick house, basically. (laughs) (laughs) No, That's your word, not mine. You've had a lot of illness running through the family, though. Oh, my goodness. It started New Year's Day night, and it has not stopped. So now I have something else again. And it's like a bad head cold or something. And it's like, please, can we just get through January? (laughs) You need to put yourself in a bubble over there. You have not been here since before Christmas because of all the sickness. Yeah, since before And because of the half foot of snow that we got the other day. Yeah, there's that too. And And before this episode drops, we're supposed to get more. Yay. Yeah. (laughs) So if my voice sounds a little weird today, it's because I'm under the weather, but that's okay. Recording always makes me feel better, but just the little scratchiness in my voice, that's what it is. A little horse. It's okay. It's a little chicken. (laughs) I'm not sure how to make that work. I got it. I got it. Your throat is chicken scratchy. (laughs) It's a little chicken scratch. Oh, chicken scratchy. There you go. (laughs) oh yeah terrible (laughs) oh man so yes we're dealing with snow and record lows and all of my girls are in the garage in their pop-ups with the panel heaters that they keep trying to knock over and i'm like please stop please stop yeah we've got well we have panel heaters in all the coops except the little omelet go up where katsumoto the big australorp sleeps there's not enough room for a panel heater in there So he is currently living in the garage with Esther, and he crows a lot, and she is not happy. She's like, get this dude out of here. Why'd you bring a man in here? Why? This crowing nonsense. He's making it all loud. (laughs) Yeah, he went off at like 7 a.m. this morning, and I laughed. (laughs) She's like, what the hell are you doing to me here? She really is not happy. She's giving him the stink eye all the time. Wasn't it? It was when 
Periwinkle was over there with you guys for a day or two with Gertie, and he went off like because he was like, "Oh yeah, hot babe." Oh, he was like, "Pretty lady, comes to Papa." <laughs> Didn't like, Periwinkle Dude. just give him the the eye? Periwinkle turned her back on him. <laughs> <laughs> he said, "Talk to the fluff." No, <laughs> I don't think so. No way, son. You're out of luck this time. Oh my goodness. Yeah. So I'm out there like 10 times a day yelling at them saying, can you please not put shavings in your water bowl? Can you please not get shavings in your food bowl? It's a losing battle. It's a losing battle. Just go out every so often and change it and be done with it. And I'm like, I can't wait till the temperatures are warmer. Your little hiney's growing back out in your home. You and me both. You know what? I don't even want to talk about it anymore because I just want to fantasize that we are on a warm island somewhere. With all of our chickens? (laughs) Yeah, that's fine. (laughs) They can have some island life. I'm good with that. The only ones that are liking it are the dogs and the kids. Well, I can't even say Sophia's right now because she has to drive to college, right? So she's like, oh my God, I don't want to drive in this. But Ella's living the life. Why? Well, because this week they had off for holiday on Monday. And then two straight days she's been off for the snow. Oh, man. And then does she go back to school tomorrow? She's probably going back tomorrow. And then they're calling for snow all day Friday. Yeah. So probably not in. Well, how about that? She is living large. She's like, Mom, watch me. She couldn't find the sled because they're out in the shed. So she went and got a boogie board. She's riding it through the yard. Okay. I'm like, it's too cold for chickens out there, much less my 14-year-old daughter should not be out there. She's not feeling the cold. We didn't feel the cold when we were 14. Oh, man. She's living it up, though. Every time I see her, she's eating snow. I'm like, stop doing that. Oh, that's kind of gross. Don't do that, Ella. <laughs> oh, no. The sheep okay. are eating tons of snow, too. And I'm like, it's been of them doing it without Ella doing it. Oh, okay. Oh, my goodness. Well, on that note, <laughs> if you're listening to our show and you're loving it, head on over to Apple Podcast and leave us a written or typed review. It does amazing things for the growth of our show. While you're there, hit that subscribe button for two reasons. The first is you never want to miss an episode. And the second is it's another great way to help us grow because they count those subscriptions. If you're looking for other ways to help the podcast, you can tell a few chicken-loving friends about the show. You can share your favorite episodes on social media. You can check out our Etsy shop, t-shirts, mugs, and tiny chickens. You can become a patron of the show at patreon.com slash coffee with the chicken ladies. Thank you again to all of our patrons and welcome to our newest members. Yay, welcome and thank you. That's pretty. (laughs) And the other thing you can do to help support the show, visit our website and our show notes. Use our affiliate links and discount codes and buy products from our sponsors. Yay! Hey, Chris. Yeah? Do you like subscription boxes? Does it have anything to do with chickens? Of course. Then yeah. Let me take a minute to tell you about the Chicken Love Box. If you love goodies for your chickens and you, you need to go to chickenlove.com. I love the Mega Box. Tons of useful products for my flock and a chicken tea for me. You can't go wrong with a chicken tea. They are so cute and so soft. In the August box, I absolutely love those amazingly good smelling nest box herbs and that giant roll of rooster stickers. They're great. I love the wood decorative plate. It's going up in our studio today. And with all my baking, those egg separators are going to work awesomely. Boxes start at $39 a month. They ship immediately after your order, and shipping is always free. Such a great deal. Don't wait. Get off the nest and click already. Use the code CWTCL50 for 50% off your first box of a three-month subscription or more. That's chickenlove.com. That's chickenluv.com. Get your subscription today. 
Have you heard of Strong Animals Chicken Essentials? They make natural supplements for your flock. Strong Animals has used plant-based products and natural approaches to promote the health and vitality of backyard flocks. Their products contain organic essential oils, prebiotics, and other natural ingredients to support the immune system and digestive health. Give your chicks and chickens what they need to thrive with Strong Animals Health Products. Visit GetStrongAnimals.com today. The Breed Spotlight is brought to you by Murray McMurray Hatchery, defining quality for generations. For over a century, Murray McMurray Hatchery has remained a trusted family-owned business, working tirelessly to ensure our poultry meet the highest standards. Whether you are an experienced enthusiast or just embarking on the journey, look to McMurray Hatchery for guaranteed quality rare and heritage breeds, low minimums, and all the supplies you need to raise your flock. Request a free catalog today. Da-da-da-da! Da-da-da-da! It's time for the Breed Spotlight! Yeah! 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 A little different than I was going to choose, but this is what you get on Zoom sometimes that doesn't collect my songs as well. Let's just say it this way. Sometimes when you sing, you are so enthusiastic that the, the sound bounces off the mic and doesn't even record. I like that, that, was a, that was a jaunty little number. It's perfect. It wasn't my original, but... Uh, okay. okay, so this week's Breed Spotlight is... The Menorca. The Menorca. The Menorca is another one of those great Mediterranean breeds. Oh yeah. my God. They're an old and really beautiful member of the Mediterranean class. Sometimes, back in history, known as the red-faced Black Spanish. Okay. The Menorca is named for the beautiful Spanish island of Menorca. Of course. It's an absolutely beautiful island, just stunning rural villages, and the beaches there are some of the prettiest I've ever seen. Well, I have to go see this chicken in its motherland, so I'm going to go. Clearly. I mean, it's endangered there, but there's been a breeding program in place since about 2012. So yeah, I think we should definitely take a We have to interview the person doing the breeding program there, so we have to go there. All of them. We have to go around (laughs) the whole island. Yes. (laughs) Now, back in the 19th century, there were large flocks of Menorcas kept on the island. So, obviously, they took the name of the place where they were found. Right. The Menorca is a rare heritage breed, and they're currently found in the watch category of the Livestock Conservancy's conservation priority list. Have they come up some? Because I feel like they were more endangered before. I honestly can't remember, but it's very possible that they've moved. Yeah. The Menorca was first imported to the UK around 1830, although poultry historian Lewis Wright suggests that there is some evidence that they may have been there about 50 years earlier. The island of Menorca was occupied by the British for most of the 1700s, and it made an excellent naval base. So really, they would have had ample opportunity to export chickens. Okay. Just to set the stage for this a little bit. Did you see the the original, the very first Pirates of the Caribbean movie? I did, but it was so long ago. That's that, okay. Yeah, I did, definitely. So in the very beginning, Kira Knightley's character, she's the governor's daughter. Right. The governor, I think it was supposed to be Jamaica. This would have been very similar to that. And in the movie, there are these enormous British naval ships and all the officers, they have the white wigs. Right. You know, all that kind of mm. stuff. That's exactly what this would have looked like. Menorca. I'm sure. I mean, that far. Yeah, definitely. So the Menorca showed. I just, <laughs> I just like the thought of a tropical island when we're sitting here with snow on the ground. Yeah, 
half foot of snow, more coming, and let's talk a tropical island. Come on, let's do it. So Menorca showed up in the U.S. in the early 1880s, actually substantially later than the U.K. At the time, they had a reputation for being excellent layers. We're going to come back to that theme over and over. Uh, yeah, definitely with this chicken. But they quickly became popular show chickens as well. Now, here's the start of it. Unfortunately, somewhere along the line, many of the Menorca bloodlines had all that great egg laying bred out of them in favor of appearance for the show ring. It's the same old thing that has happened over and over again. Right. You know, we breed in what we want and out goes some of the good stuff that you don't even know that's going to go out. Right. Now, the British Poultry Club notes that Langshins were one of the heavy breeds that were crossed with Menorcas to increase their size, and that breeding in search of, and I quote, exaggerated headgear, which <laughs> I believe that is the big six-pointed comb and the very right. earlobes. It's the first time I've ever heard it called that, exaggerated, <laughs> exaggerated headgear. headgear. Yeah. <laughs> but the exaggerated headgear and breeding birds like the Langshin in to increase size really took their toll on egg production. Let's take the Mediterranean right out of the Mediterranean. Yeah, kind of. Yeah. The single comb black Menorca and the single comb white Menorcas appeared in the American Poultry Association Standard of Perfection in 1888. The rose comb black appeared in 1904. The single comb buff appeared in 1913. And the rose comb white appeared in 1914. Now, this is kind of interesting. I think this would be beautiful. In the UK, there's a blue Menorca. Ooh, yeah, yeah, that sounds fun. And there are Bantam Menorcas, just in case you're interested in a mini. They're all cute when they're mini. Yeah. Menorcas had a reputation for being super healthy and hardy and able to recover well from stress. Menorcas traveled by ship to Australia in the late 1890s, and that is a long voyage, but all the birds stayed healthy and they even laid eggs daily on the journey. Oh, good. Yeah. I found several mentions of Menorcas in books and journals from the late 1800s to the early 1900s. And this is the sad part. Each writer said repeatedly that the Menorca had no equal for the size and number of eggs that they laid. Oh, man. Now, George Northrup, he's the author of a book published in 1907 called Menorca Chickens of Every Common Color. He wrote in the September 1900 edition of the Poultry Monthly Journal that he had a black menorca named Queen Elizabeth, and she laid eggs all winter long when she was eight years old. Wow. Yeah. There's also an article in the same journal from a menorca breeder in upstate New York who had several birds suffer from frostbite in the winter of 1898. He actually began heating his well-ventilated hen houses to avoid any more of his menorcas being damaged by cold. Well, see, that's way back then in 1898, so... Exactly. Yep. Okay, so this breed, it's basically known as the largest and heaviest of the Mediterraneans, right? Which we understand because it had that Langshan bred into it. It's gonna, right. They're going to be bigger. The standard of perfection calls for the Menorca of roosters to weigh about nine pounds. That's a big rooster. That's, that's a big a roo. That's a big boy, especially for a Mediterranean, because we're used to Mediterranean boys being about five or six pounds. Light-bodied, yeah. Yeah. And the hens are coming in at about seven and a half pounds. So seven and a half for a Mediterranean girl 
that's big. Yeah, that's that's definitely not the normal. I mean, the white-faced black Spanish are a larger chicken, but not this big. No, the white-faced black Spanish are not as large as them, that's for sure. So they have they stand tall with sturdy legs and a tail that sits at about a 35-degree angle. Lower the ghost Mediterranean tails. Yeah, Mediterranean usually is straight up, so... They're a little different on the lines of Mediterranean. They're like Mediterranean with a twist. (laughs) There you go. (laughs) So roosters have the big straight combs and waddles and long white earlobes. Now they do have those long white earlobes. They're really cool looking. And on the hens, the comb is floppy. I love a floppy Mediterranean breed at comb. And the white earlobes are a bit more rounded than the ruse. Yeah. There are also two rose comb varieties, black and white, with moderately large rose comb. On black menorcas, legs are slate-colored, while buff and white menorcas have pinkish-white legs and feet. Yeah. That sounds uh, pretty. Real pretty. They're very pretty. I mean, you know, they're all solid-color birds, but I think they're very pretty. They're very elegant birds. I really got an itch for the white-faced black Spanish their cousin when we went to the when we saw him in person when you see him in person well you're looking at me this way over zoom i'm giving you the stink eye i know but you're you're gonna try to claim my breed (laughs) i'm claiming it i'm claiming it so when i when i first started thinking about them i thought the boys were the only ones that were like majestic looking but when we saw the hens they are also majestic looking. they are they're very pretty they are. So, but we've always talked about the Menorca being the cousin of the white-faced black Spanish and the red-faced black Spanish. Yeah, uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but I mean, you know, they actually had a little bit more tampering with and you wonder if they would have been closer, more aligned to the white-faced black Spanish if they weren't crossed with the Langshin and something else to make them be more of a show chicken. Probably. I mean, I think that's a safe bet, yeah. Now let's talk about egg laying because we kind of mentioned this back before the hens are coming in with they're very good egg layers with large white eggs of course the amounts can vary and it seems like different strains or bloodlines may have different egg averages so yeah. this is a chicken that's very hard to say you're going to get 200 a year you're going to get 150 a year they can lay anywhere from 150 to 220 that's a wide range 220 plus. I mean, right. apparently there are still some strains that can lay you a lot of eggs. So if you get a strain, you, you could be surprised or you could get the strain that lays 150 eggs. It's kind of like the grab bag of Dana's that I always talk about. You don't know what you're going to get. And they're Mediterranean. Here's the thing. They're not setters. They're not. They're rarely going to go broody for you. Right. So that's going right. to pump up your egg numbers because going broody cuts into egg numbers yearly. Yeah. It would be nice. I mean, the way all these writers talk about them, I suppose they could be exaggerating, but they're talking about them as if they were laying the same numbers that the leghorns lay. Nobody nobody beats a leghorn, man. You're like, you're like throw down. Nobody beats a leghorn. But so, maybe at one point the Menorca did. No, never. <laughs> okay. It brings me to this. This Today, during my 100th trip out to the garage and checking on everybody, and... I'm like, Lucy is laying weird next to the heater. We all know Lucy's my leghorn that never lays down ever, right? Yeah, she doesn't stop. She never stops. So I'm like, I look at her. I'm like, maybe she's just getting feeling a little bit of the heat. I go back and I mess with KDT Biscuit or somebody. 
come back. She's still laying there. I'm like, okay, now time to pick her up and check her. And right as I pick her up, an egg she comes lays, out. She lays an egg. <laughs> She's like, man, let a woman have some privacy. What are you doing? <laughs> like, what the heck? So I remember I said the other day I was worried because after her molt, she hadn't started. Well, she's back. She's laying again. Yeah. Yeah. So I was just like, I picked her up and the egg just fell out at that exact moment right into my hand. I'm like, okay. There you go. Perfect that, timing. That answers that question. Well, I would take that any day over something being wrong. Believe me. Oh, yeah, yeah absolutely. One of my Andalusians, Catalina, has started laying again. And her eggs this season are enormous. Huge white eggs. I love it. I don't think you can beat, I mean, even though some of the Mediterraneans lay more eggs than others, I don't think you can beat them for having a good layer that doesn't go broody. Just, we just love the Mediterraneans. They're great for homesteads. I mean, they really are. If you're looking for a good heritage breed layer, it doesn't have to be leghorn levels, but they're still going to give you a lot of eggs. And if you have a mixed flock, the Menorca is going to give you more than enough eggs for your household. Right. And they love to forage, which is great. So they're going to take care of lots of bugs and ticks in your yard. And again, do some supervised free ranging when they're out there. Make sure that they're being watched. Yeah, they would be very, very good garden helpers. A fantastic addition to permaculture or regenerative ag systems. Now, despite they're larger framed as Mediterraneans, they're not the best with being cold hardy because at heart, they're Mediterraneans. They're used to tropical weather that way. And go back to what year was it? 1898. And they yeah. were being heated at that point. So they're going to need some assistance during winter. They have the very large coma waddles. They do. Right. And their feathering apparently is quite tight to their bodies without a lot of fluff. The, the Andalusians are the same way. Yeah. Not a lot of fluff. You, like you said, there's big combs. Now, those big combs, though make them very heat hardy so they're great for southern climates yeah definitely we think they are a very elegant addition to a mixed flock and they look just gorgeous in a large menorca only flock they do and if you want to get in some fancy chickens these are in that level of fancy they really are they're, they're beautiful and those combs and waddles are just amazing to look at and believe me if you've not seen one in person if you get them and that you're going to be like in all, like how the high was when we saw them in person at the show. It's like, are you talking oh, about wait. the white face black Spanish? I am, but they, I kind of think that they're the cousins of like, I just, one or the other, they just look slightly different to me that way. They are supposed to have very good personalities with people, though some people used a couple of, I don't know, I don't know, these, these could be negative descriptors. Some people called them feisty and some people called them flighty. How many chickens have we talked about that somebody's called flighty? I think a so lot. there's somebody out there to call every chicken breed flighty. If somebody wants to pick up a chicken and they try to fly away, they're flighty. You know, I'm it's sure that a seven and a half pound hen is going to be super flighty, though. No, not sure not. How, how far she's flying. No, not at all. I mean, that some of the flightiness is natural chicken behavior. It's part of it's a flight, fight or flight. Yeah, it's a. It's a startle reflex. It's important to stay alive. It is. I mean, and that's just their natural behavior. You just kind of have to give them a little bit of room to have that and not really put stamp that flighty stamp on every single breed of chicken. You know, make flighty simply an adjective and not necessarily tied to negative connotations. And right now it is. If a chicken gets called flighty, they're uh, they're like out of luck. 
So we want to talk about where we can get them, but we know there was one place that had the this chicken as one of their very first breeds. Murray McMurray, the banker turned chicken breeder and hatchery owner, started off with Menorcas. Selling them out the back of the bank. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> McMurray has been sorry. McMurray has been breeding and hatching Menorcas for a hundred years, and you can order your chicks from them. And let me tell you, those lines, they're great lines. Oh yeah. Yeah. And this is the chicken that started it all for Mr. McMurray. You know, so he had a love for this chicken and Mediterranean chickens. He had a liking for chickens who were more fancy than were popular at that point, you know? So yeah. well, he sold Menorca, Yokohamas. Yeah. I mean, the Menorca he sold out the back the bank. He was like, yeah. yeah, let's go sell these. So McMurray is a place to go. Absolutely. You can also check out the Menorca Breeders Facebook group. Or you can join the American Poultry Association if you're interested in showing these birds. Now, if you have the Menorca, send us some pictures or do a story on Instagram and mention us in there. There's a little mention button and then we'll reshare them. Send us your pictures. We want to see your Menorcas. If you're looking for a chicken coop that's produced in a planet-friendly, sustainable way, try Nestera. Each coop is made from highly durable, 100% recycled plastic that keeps the equivalent of up to 2,000 shampoo bottles out of a landfill. Their clean, modern design will fit into any garden or run area and comes with an industry-beating 25-year warranty and a range of handy accessories. Simple to put together, so quick and easy to clean, and most importantly, red mite resistant. Your chickens will love it. Quick shipping from Nestera.us. For a 5% discount, use the affiliate link in our show notes, on our website, and on Instagram. Link in bio. Check them out today. Roosties proudly sponsors Coffee with the Chicken Ladies. They're back with an innovative new product. You're going to want to check this out. It's an extra large set. A 14-pound feeder and 3-gallon water with steep anti-roost lids. They're made of super durable material. You can either stand them on legs or hang them on brackets on your coop or fence. They're easy to remove and clean too. Plus, they look awesome. We personally use Roosties and we're huge fans. So if you're raising chicks or keeping chickens, check out the Roosty store on Amazon or follow the link in our show notes. UK chicken lovers, this one's for you. Get happy, healthy hens with Eco Nourish's live calcium worms. Enrichment, nutrition, and protection in one tasty, sustainable peck. Scientifically proven to support glossy feathers, strong laying, and skeletal health, protect from disease, and improve gut health and immunity. You'll also bust flock stress by stimulating natural instincts and get eco-bragging rights. Visit econourish.co.uk and use code COFFEE15 for 15% off first orders. Your chickens and the planet will hug you for it. Okay, so are we ready to move on to main topic? Yeah. 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 This week's main topic is one, sometimes we do main topics and you're like, oh yeah, it's a main topic. And sometimes we do main topics that we're like, Oh, it's a main topic, but it's really necessary. It's a necessary well, main topic. I'm sad because we're leaving the tropical island of Menorca with the beautiful chickens and coming home to rodents and winter predators. Wow. Not good. Not good, man. Yeah. We're all over the place. But yeah. it's a necessary main topic because there are a lot of people out there that do need some help and some ideas on how to get rid of these problems. Right. Well, it's winter. It's cold. And everybody is hungry. Yes. That includes rodents that want to eat your chicken's food and predators who want to eat your chickens. 
This is probably one of the worst times of the year for predators. Yeah. They are, we're coming into like in the fall, you know, they kind of have taken care of what they can easily get. And now some of those things that were easily accessible or hibernating, some of those things are not out. Some of the birds are gone. And what's there are your chickens. So right. this is a really bad time of the year for chickens when it comes to predators. The rodents can injure your chickens. They can carry diseases. They can carry mites that can spread to your chickens. And they can fail, pardon the pun, your poultry's feed and water. Yuck. The first defense against rodents is to try to make your coops and runs inhospitable. So when we say this, we mean keep your runs, your coops up high, if you can, higher, although they can climb. Don't have food and water in those coops. There's no reason to have it in there. That's the big three when it comes to rodents. Rodents are looking for shelter. They're looking for food. They're looking for water. So the best defense is to just not let them get a foothold to begin with. So ways you can discourage them, what you just said. Oh, yeah. Bring the food and the waterers out of the coops and runs at night or or just dump your water if that's the easiest thing to do. We always say get fresh water every single day. Dump the water at the end of the day. There should be no food in the coop or the run overnight. Nobody's going to be eating it. So except for the rats. So we don't want to leave it there for them. You kind of need to go a little further with that. If there's spilled food, you probably want to rake that up and just get it out of there. Yeah, just make sure you're going through your run. I know sometimes at the end of the night, it's not one of your favorite things to do, but rake the stuff out of the run, pick up any loose pellets that are everywhere. What you want to make sure is that there's no access for the rats or any predators to get into your run or your coops. Make sure there's no holes. Go around the perimeter of your run every night. I do this, and if I see anything loose, I take care of it. And the same thing with your coop. Because something can come, if something get into your run, it can mess with your coop or your barn. So make sure that the access is cut off. They don't have it. Don't keep large, warm compost piles because rodents will actually build a home in there. So you want to turn the compost often or you want to spread it with a manure spreader. (laughs) Yeah. Or use a composter or a compost bin so that no one has outside access to it. Right. If you get the bid, it's all in there. Nobody's going to be. But it, it makes sense because it's a great place for them to make a home for themselves. Yeah. I mean, the compost pile is breaking down. If it's not aerated and turned properly, they can live in there indefinitely. So here's another thing. Avoid putting anything down that's going to try like a poison to kill the mice because we know this for sure. Chickens will eat mice. I've seen my chickens eat a few of them. And you don't want them to take in the poison through the mouse or the rat. So your chicken can can be poisoned secondhand. So a lot of those poisonings are basically blood thinners. And what they do is they make the animal bleed out. This is disgusting. But this is from working where I worked in the city for many years. We had so many rat poisoning cases for dogs because the dogs would eat the rat poisoning because they make it taste good so that the mice eat it. God. And what happens is, is it makes everything bleed out. That's awful. And apparently a lot of large raptors, you know, eagles, hawks, et cetera, they eat poison rodents. They often die from the poison too. 
Right. So the poison Ooh. makes them just bleed internally and that's it. God, that's hard. So it's a blood thinner, basically. And it just, you know, we would try. I've seen a lot of dogs die from it. I've seen us save a lot of dogs too, but it's really sad. It's really, really sad. My God, There's got to so be a better way. There's got to be a better be. way. It's so depressing. I, I kind of don't want to go on. It's There's got to be a better way. In warmer months, you can grow lots of mint because rodents don't like the smell of mint. That's kind of nice. It is. I mean, and we talk about this all the time and for bugs and everything else. They don't like the smell of certain herbs. Right. Grow them because they're not going to like them. Okay. Barn cats. Yeah. This is an amazing thing to do. Now, if your barn is heated and comfortable for the cats, they can stay out there. We don't want them living in a condition where it's not good for them, but there is. Now, we've had a listener out there contact us and say, I got a barn cat and it's the best thing ever. I was having a problem with rodents and now the rodents are coming nowhere near my chickens as long as the cat's out there. It's amazing. And you get another animal to love. Well, we have two enormously spoiled barn cats on the family farm. My family farm, there are two barns. And every now and again, rodents will show up. It just happens in country areas. Yeah. And they start to make themselves a home. And our barn cats, well, like I said, they're spoiled. So they're not as effective as they could be. But Often what happens, especially as the weather warms up, is we have Mrs. Black Snake come in. Oh, yeah. She, she clears it out. Yeah. I, I mean, you don't want to see a lot of snakes, but some snakes are going to help you with those other problems. I don't mind snakes. They don't bother me at, in the least. And if they were going to take rodents out of my llama barn, I was happy to see them. <laughs> come in, Mrs. Snakey. You're very welcome here. Use hardware cloth where possible on your coops and runs. It's too small for even mice to fit through. And it'll keep like raccoon hands out. Oh, it's great. It's great stuff. Okay, so back to the food. Okay. You want to keep your food stored securely because even if you use plastic, they can chew through plastic. So I use the galvanized cans, the large, like old style trash cans. Yeah. And they're not cheap, but they last forever and no one's getting through it. So yeah. if you hold your food and galvanized cans are not going to get through plastic, keep in mind, they will chew through plastic. If you see rodents making holes, I say under and into your run, which they, in, rodents can dig out fairly long tunnels compared to say a dog or a fox. Oh yeah. Cause they're so small. So if you see evidence of holes going into your runs, fill them immediately. So it, kick the dirt back in, put a paver or a concrete block over top, anything you can do to block that access. And you might have to do it over and over for a while. But oh, yeah. don't hesitate. Just do it as soon as you see it. Now, here's another thing that you're deterring rats and rodents and everything else, and you don't even realize that you do, is being around your run and being active. So if you're out with your chickens a lot during the day or in the evening, you're going to deter you know, those little buggers from coming around. (laughs) But I really think one of the main things is just keeping the food out at night. And it really does help because there's a lot of people, I've heard these horror stories and I forgot where I saw this, where the mice were coming in and chewing on the chicken's legs at night. Oh, 
So yeah, I think it was just a veterinary case that we heard of where someone was having problems where the mice were coming and chewing on the chicken's legs. So, I mean, this can become a problem, a big problem. Yeah, yeah. Not just them stealing food. Right. It's the big three. If you don't, if you want to dissuade rodents, food, water, shelter. And if you do that, then you're going to be great. Usually. I mean, there are some places where they still manage to show up, but in general, that's going to keep them away from you. Okay. So let's move on to predators. Predators. Oh no. Go away. Don't come back. Not even another day. Just like rodents, prevention is the key when it comes to predators in your poultry. Especially now, there's snow on the ground, it's cold, a lot of food is scarce. Not to mention the fact that, this is always your point, and it's true, chickens stand out like a beacon against the snow. It's the one time where a white chicken has the advantage. Yeah, yeah, the one and only time. Right? So, if you are free-ranging on snow, be careful. You know, any hawk flying by can see your chickens. The other morning, I was out, this was a week or two ago, and... I had Anastasia in for the night, so I was taking her back out, and I put her down right in front of the run, and I let her free range while I'm right there at the run, usually for a few minutes, and she ran as fast as she could next to the barn, and I mean, like, I was like, man, you ran fast, and just as I looked up and she ran, I mean, she ran right next to me where I was standing. Yeah. A hawk just came right over, and I was standing right with her. Yeah, yeah. So we really, we're not just trying to say this to be any way about free ranging because we do supervise free range all the time and it can happen even when you do supervise free ranging. Right. It has. These predators are looking right now. They are looking for food. Yeah. And your chickens look scrumptious to them. So, you know, anytime when they're out on their own without anybody with them, they are prime targets right now. Absolutely. And even though it's miserably cold out right now, the first step for predator proofing is to try to take some time to inspect your housing. The first thing, make sure your gates into your runs are strong and sturdy. You know, nothing hanging from one hinge, good solid latch, all of that stuff. In fact, I've got to go through this weekend and put some more staples in some of my gates and everything because I've noticed some are, they will come out just with where. You have to sometimes add them in. Now, this is something I do at least once a day and sometimes every other day. And my neighbors one day found something for me when they were coming to visit the chickens. And it's walk the perimeter of your run. And I was talking about it before. If you walk the perimeter of your run and you look for weak spots, if you look for something that just looks a little off or something chewed it or something is up a little bit, I do this. I try to do it every day try to do it every day. It's a good practice. Even if you're only doing it once a week, it's better than nothing. Access points too. Our coops are freestanding in big runs. Right. But if you have a coop with a run attached, where the run attaches to the coop can be a oh, yeah. weak spot sometimes. And that can be an access point sometimes. Oh, so yeah. Double check that a lot. Patch or replace any loose or weak wood or wire. It's just upkeep of everything, making sure it's secure. Use carabiners to keep raccoons from opening latches. Raccoons have very clever little dexterous hands. So just snap a carabiner on any place where a latch can open 
that they're my what they're my best friends i yeah. get those metal they the metal hooks are big and strong they're yeah. from like home depot for like three bucks and they're everywhere yeah yeah i mean it works exactly the same way something to stop the latches from opening Check for posts that may have become unsteady from freezing ground. This is just to make sure your run is secure. Again, we're making sure the structure that is holding them in is also keeping things out. That's right. so important. And it, right now is, I know nobody wants to be out there, but this is a time when something comes loose and you're not out there a lot and then a predator gets in. Right. So checking those things even this time of the year. If you use zip ties anywhere on your coops and runs, and we do, check them regularly because they can become brittle and snap in the cold. And also, they I've noticed they can naturally loosen up a little bit. Yeah. So I have... And tighten them. Exactly. Okay. So hunting predators has been repeatedly proven to cause their population to increase. So if you have coyotes and you kill a coyote, they they breed more coyotes this has definitely been proved with coyotes and other large apex predators like wolves i don't know if it's the same with foxes but kind of makes sense i mean we were talking about this a while ago and because we were saying like i have coyotes in my area and you do too and people were trying to hunt them and it was like you're only making them worse and here's the other thing hunting is illegal certain things all the big hawks and everything it's illegal to hunt and kill them right so they're protected the, they're protected by the, the by the government so yeah. you don't want to do that that's for sure they're yeah they're federally protected i think when it comes to things like coyote fox etc you have to go state by state probably and like but, you said i mean they want them to stay in existence so Animals, the females will come into heat more often and birth more babies. So it's not, not really doing anything. That's a species evolving right in front of your eyes. That's what's happening. Exactly. There. And the reality is there's always more animals that want to eat your chickens. It could be your next door neighbor's dog. Right. And they could do it not because they're trying to eat them, but because they're trying to play and they're too right. rough. You know, dogs, that's the thing. Never trust anybody that's not, you know... That's another animal with your chickens because they could play with them too rough and they could take them out that way. We we bring Esther in a couple times a day for various things, give her some extra food, et cetera. And she's our special needs hen. And she was on Pete's lap the other day. And the dogs are very good about respecting her space for the most part. But Tulip decided to poke her nose in Esther's face. Esther pecked her right on the nose. Yeah, that's what Cornelia did to sweetie the other day i mean they kind of know they're like okay so i mean in my that's not respect right? my boundaries it's not to say that they can't get along because there are a lot of circumstances where they do it's just that you have to be careful so but the other thing is this is a very bad time of the year for predators yeah they're yeah. just as hungry as everybody else is and they're looking for something to eat and your chickens are looking so good to them and they're right there so we have to make sure that everything's secure and that's just the best way to do it. Yeah. And honestly, you kind of need to, re- not kind of, you basically need to repeat all of this going into spring because in spring, babies are being born and mamas are looking for ways to feed them. That's what every mother does out there. Yep. You just need yep. to make sure that they can't feed them with your animals. Right. I mean, and at this point in time, 
chickens free ranging. They're not getting much of anything out of the grass. So there's really no need to be free ranging right now. If you have a large enough enclosure, keep them in, keep them safe, and only do supervised free ranging when you're right there. Kale. Oh, yeah, they love it. They (laughs) They do love kale. (laughs) Okay, so are we ready to move on to cracking the eggs? Cracking those eggs. Now, this week we were inspired by Ella, and Ella's my 14 year old, and her baking. She loves to bake. Loves, loves. She does a great job, too. A few weeks ago, when she was feeling better, she was sick, and then she started feeling better. She decided to bake, and she made these, like, she called them frozen hot chocolate cookies. Okay. I mean, they were delicious, and they they inspired us to do this recipe. They're kind of a bigger cookie. I mean, I'd say they're a generous cookie. Now, did the recipe that Ella use, did she actually use packets of hot cocoa mix? I'm not exactly sure. Because there are some versions of this recipe where you just use hot cocoa mix. But because we do the gluten and dairy-free version as well, I did a version that's just, we use cocoa powder. I think, I'm pretty sure she just used cocoa powder. Okay. Okay. I'm pretty positive. I don't think that she used hot cocoa mix because then I would have heard, Mom, where's (laughs) the hot cocoa mix? Yes. Yeah. (laughs) So, no, and she knows where the the cocoa is for baking because she's going to be a baker. I mean, she's turning into a really good baker. She is, yeah. Okay, so these hot chocolate cookies, let's go into the ingredients that we're going to need. You're going to need 12 tablespoons, that's one and a half sticks of unsalted butter or dairy-free butter at room temperature. That's a lot of butter. That's That's a lot lot of butter. butter. Half a cup of light brown sugar firmly packed. Four large eggs at room temperature, because remember, they're better to bake with at room temperature. Two teaspoons of vanilla extract. Two and a half cups of all-purpose flour or gluten-free flour, one-to-one. One cup of cocoa powder. One tablespoon of baking powder. A half a teaspoon of salt. 24 or so marshmallows cut in half. And if you have the minis, you can leave those, like, pretty mini. You don't have to I cut them. You could probably you... do three or four minis in place of half of a big one. Yeah. Yeah. You could do some minis. And then you're going to have a chocolate topping, which is a cup of chocolate chips, a quarter cup of heavy cream or dairy-free half and half, or thick dairy-free milk. In a medium-sized mixing bowl, you're going to whisk together the flour, the cocoa powder, the baking powder, and the salt. Set that aside. Then you want a large mixing bowl. You're going to use an electric mixer to cream the butter and the sugars together until they're light and fluffy. You're going to add your eggs and your vanilla and beat until completely combined. Then you're going to gradually add the dry ingredients to the wet, stirring it until it's completely incorporated. Cover your batter with plastic wrap or foil, and you're going to chill it for at least one hour. I find with all cookies, chilling your your batter or your dough, it helps so much. With the way they bake, they bake so much better. The only exception of that is my peanut butter cookies. Yeah. But in general, a batter like this, especially if you're going to make a big cookie. Yeah. you If you skip the chilling step, sometimes they spread and they're really thin and yeah. Exactly. Exactly. So when you're ready to bake, you're going to preheat your oven to 350 degrees Fahrenheit. Line some cookie sheets with seal pats or parchment paper. Now, you're going to grab a generous tablespoon of dough. You're going to roll it into a ball, put it on your baking sheet, 
You want to leave like an inch and a half to two inches between each cookie because they're big. Oh, yeah. They're big. Pop them in the oven for about 10 to 12 minutes. When they're finished, take them out of the oven and immediately place half of one of those marshmallows on top of each cookie and press them down a little bit so they start to melt and stick mm-hmm. to the cookie. Then put up, put them all on a rack to cool. Once the cookies are completely cool, you're going to prepare that ga- chocolate ganache topping. I like the microwave version of ganache because it's just so quick and easy. Right. Put the chocolate chips and the heavy cream or dairy-free milk, whatever you're using, Put them in a microwave-safe bowl. Put them on high for 30 seconds in the microwave. Take the bowl out. Give it a good stir. You might have to repeat it once or twice until the chocolate is completely melted and you've got the cream blended in completely. Then you're going to pour or drizzle the ganache over each cookie. You want to cover the marshmallow completely and like let some of the chocolate flow out. It might take a couple tries to get it right. perfect. Here's where you get to have some fun. Add some sprinkles if you'd like to. Or maybe some coarse sanding sugar for a little sparkle. Yes, that would be good. Let the ganache cool completely so it firms up and you can serve and enjoy. You're gonna love it. That sounds like another really big, delicious thing you could have for a Valentine's or a Galentine's Day meal. Oh, yeah. You could just add those or bring along to dinner for dessert because one cookie is a dessert. And that's kind of the rage right now with cookies. A big cookie. Is a big cookie is like, that's all you need, right? And the rage right now with the kids, I'm not going to say the name of the place, but is to sell these large mini cake cookies and then they cut them in fours and everybody gets their own cookie and then they split and get a quarter of all these different kinds of cookies. Well, that's a good idea. Kind of mix and match. Right. And the the cookies are like mini cakes almost. Yeah, I could. That's fun. I like that. And that's why she was like, you know, she was trying to bake these, but hers came out really good. I might put a story up with a picture of hers. Oh, she did hers. She did a little different with the icing and everything else, but I might have to put that up on our stories and so that everybody can see how good hers came out too. They look really pretty. She definitely inspired us. That's for sure. Yeah. So try it. You might like it. Tell us what you think. Okay, so let's move on to retail therapy. Retail therapy. Yeah. Okay, this week's retail therapy, we're going to talk home bombs. Because we've been getting some questions about this lately. More than one person, multiple people have been asking us about home bombs and what to do with using them, how you use them. And... We're going to look into them a little bit. We're going to take a few minutes just to explain the comb bomb. Should we make our first point? Now you're just waiting. The comb bomb is not a repellent for for frostbite. It's not this magical thing that you put it on the comb and they can be out in one degree and not get frostbite. The only thing comb bomb or Vaseline can do is if you're getting very light frost from condensation that might settle on a comb... It could prevent that, sure. But if your temperatures are, like you said, Chris, probably anything below 20, right? you're going to start to see combs and toes and waddles freeze. And you could put a lot of bomb on there and it's not going to make any difference. It's not going to stop. But what we were talking about is comb bombs have a place in our winter care for chickens. It's not for frostbite prevention, 
It's for comb and waddle conditioning. So they get get dry. They get dry. And we were both talking about this a while ago with different ones of our own chickens. And I was noticing it with Lucy that her comb was looking like dry, dry. And and you were noticing it with one of your girls, too. And was Emma the coach. And yeah. And we're like, what's going on here? And Andrea over at Chicken Love, her boxes are fantastic. And I think one month last year in her box, she had a comb bomb that we're both using still. The whole reason you need the comb bomb is because of the cold, because the cold can make their skin very dry, just like it does to us. It really dries out your skin. Oh, yeah. Now, Vaseline is not going to really moist. It doesn't moisten anything. It only acts as a protected a little bit from moisture. That's (laughs) it. A lubricant. That's it. And everything under the sun sticks to it. So if you want to use something to condition the bombs, that is not going to be it. That's really going to help, legitimately help with the dryness on the comb. You want something with emollients in it, something that's soothing, that helps the comb retain moisture. Okay, so let's look, let's give you some places to go to find them. And, you know, you can always look up a recipe to make your own comb bomb. Some of yeah. the things that are in it, they're, it's so easy to make beeswax and chamomile, lavender, those types of things are all really good for the skin. Calendula coconut petals. Plantain, like, coconut plantain. oil, coconut oil. And if you make all these things into a bomb, you can even buy the little canisters very inexpensively. Yeah, little tins that you can put them in. Yeah, yeah. So if you're a person that wants to try that, there's lots of recipes out there to make your own and you know it's fresh, you know it's great. That's always something that you can do. If you're somebody that, you know, you don't have the time to do that or you don't want to, no fear. Etsy's out there. (laughs) Etsy has everything that you need and then some. Yes. So Etsy, if you go on Etsy and look up chicken comb bombs, there's lots of them. And they range in price around $5, maybe a little bit more. They're not expensive. And if you get a tin, it's going to last you. It should last you through the winter, one. Unless you have like 200 chickens, then it won't. Yeah. Wow. It would take me all day to go around and put comb bomb on everybody. I know. I'd be like, here, come here next. More comb bomb. (laughs) I tend to only... I only do it to the ones who, some of them, they, their combs just get so dried out. I can think of three off the top of my head. Emma the Cochin's one of them. Oh, I know. It was one of the Andalusians. It was Catalina. She had finished molting and I kept saying her comb is still pale. Her comb is still pale. And then I realized right. it was dry, not pale. Yes, exactly. So that's the time to use the comb bomb. And that's what we've done. So, like I said, there's different ones out there. Chicken Healing Balm, Peace, Love, and Soap, that one. There's Henrietta's. There's Happy Hens. There's a bunch out there that if you just search up, you can find some good ones. And Etsy, they'll list all the ingredients on the product listing so you can see exactly what's in it before you buy. With this, I think you're almost better. The best is to go on Etsy and get them right from there because somebody's making them basically and putting what they have to legally put everything that's in there. Right. And, you know, you can just get something that way. That's going to help condition it. But we just want to put this out there. Vaseline and comb bombs are, 
they do not stop or prevent frostbite. They do not. The only thing that can stop it is if they're in a heated up area above freezing. I mean, that's it. Yeah. I mean, it got so cold here last night. It was 10 degrees here last night, Fahrenheit. And my nankins are in omelet igloo coops. And they each have one panel heater, right? I'll tell you, there's they still had frozen water. Wow. Though, yes, that's how cold it was here. And what that tells us is that the panel heater's working exactly the way they should. Right. They prevent the frostbite, but they're not heating it up too much. So what was what was the panel heater on one or two? Was it on two? Two. They were they were on high, yeah. Wow. Pete does the heaters at night and he cranked them up last night, yeah. Wow. Well, maybe it was lower than 10 degrees. 10 degrees is what the thermometer said. Wow. Yeah. So, you know, if you want to condition the combs and waddles, that's the way to go. Go over on Etsy and check them. Well, definitely pomade. (laughs) Chicken pomade. Chicken pomade. (laughs) Oh, you need that for the hoodans. (laughs) Yes, definitely. Definitely. Okay. So. Should we talk about what we're going to be talking about next week? And hopefully I won't be coughing and sniffling the whole show. Yes. Next week. Oh, here's another bird that could use some pomade. Next week, we are spotlighting the beautiful Sultan. One of our favorites. Main topic. Oh, we have the lovely Fiona, the floof lady back on the show. We're talking about rooster behavior. We love Fiona. Cracking the eggs. Serious comfort food. We're talking biscuits and gravy. Does it get more comfort? I don't know. (laughs) And retail therapy, and a little shout out to Abby for giving us this amazing idea. We're doing Wi-Fi coupon run thermometers. Can save your life right now. Right? It's the ultimate cold weather (laughs) accessory. (laughs) Yes, it is. The chicken lady accessory. Set of earrings. It's a Wi-Fi thermometer. Perfect. (laughs) <laughs> that's a gift that keeps on giving for real it does what should we tell everybody to do until next week hug your chickens every day and kiss them too we'll talk to you next week bye 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 if you'd like to see more of us please follow us on instagram at coffee with the chicken ladies if you'd like to help us grow the podcast please leave us a written review on apple Podcasts. if you'd like to become a patron of the show please visit our patreon page patreon.com slash coffee with the chicken ladies. Thanks for listening.